0: 18
1: plus. Hi, this is Deep Tran.
2: I'm Jose Salis.
1: And we're your token theater friends, uh, people who love theater so much that I, I, I think this week I saw this weekend, I saw like two shows. It felt like a normal weekend, you know, pre-COVID weekend.
2: I had a three-show Wednesday that's Wednesday. So what? I like,
1: like,
2: matinee, evening, and evening plus, I guess, or something. Yeah, oh. that felt amazing.
1: <laughs> and you didn't even have to put on pants.
2: I wore pants, though, because you never know if those Zoom people can see you.
1: <laughs> yeah, you never know with, like, the cameras they make these days. So they, they they could, like, direct it themselves, right?
2: Don't even go through the open ideas in my head.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, what are we talking about today, Jose?
2: We have a really exciting show today because, had you seen a Karen Zacarias play before? I mean, I haven't even said what we're talking about. No. Right? Okay, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, First up, we're going to talk about Karen Zacarias' The Copper Children, a play that was streamed by Oregon Shakespeare Festival and which turned out to be our very first Karen Zacarias play. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about why. Uh, in a little bit, and we are also talking to playwright Hilary Bettis, who is part of the Kilroys, who recently released their very heartbreaking list this year, right? So we're gonna it's talk like, about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Shows of COVID past.
2: I know. It's like oh god, Oof. I'm so sad. Oof, yeah. Oh, indeed. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be talking to Hilary about the Kilroys and 72 Miles to Go, which is the place she was doing at Roundabout. Before COVID. So did you get to see that?
1: No. I didn't have time.
2: So much heartbreak this episode.
1: I know. I know, right? And you know what? Both of these plays about immigration. And you know, and they're kind of a bummer. A little bit. <laughs> a little like bit. A, like a lot. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I want to know what's not a bummer. Like, I just want to take the time to just talk about New York and how proud I am. Of New York because there's so many, you know, theater, so many theater people out of work right now, so many restaurant people out of work right now. But we all chose to take the financial hit and stay home. And yesterday, New York City reported zero deaths for the first time. And so I heart all of us and that does not mean we stop wearing masks or go back to the theater because, like, what would make you feel safe right now to go back?
2: To go back, not being near Disney World? <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel like I'm in the safest spot on earth. How, like, I mean, how, 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 Disney how? World, can, you, can you explain that to me, how? how um, money,
1: money is how. But there's so many other theaters. Like I, I read this article that this theater in in somewhere in Middle America, I think it's called the Heron Theater Company, they opened, they reopened with no distancing between the patrons. And then the and then one of the actors in their production of Mary Poppins got sick. And so they had to cancel the production and shut everything back down.
2: Mary freaking Poppins?
1: Mm-hmm. I hope it wasn't Mary
2: Poppins that she's like flying, like coughing, like <laughs> that's spreading so, so COVID
1: to the children of London.
2: Oh my God, that's so terrifying. Yeah, so definitely not being very far away from Disney World makes me very happy right now. It makes me feel very safe. But I don't know if there's anything um, that would really make me feel safe uh, right now. Do you? Do you, Do you have show? like a benchmark? Yeah.
1: No, I have a benchmark. I have a vaccine. I'm waiting for the vaccine.
2: We're gonna be trapped for a very long time. are gonna
1: trap, Yeah, I think that's why. Like so many, I, I, like the two theaters in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, like they're reopening, and I'm just thinking, why? Why we're doing so good? No one's dead in New York. We need to keep, we need to keep everything down. Why are we getting ahead of ourselves? I'm so scared, Jose.
2: You know what's so strange? Like it's like a bizarre world. There was a movie that came out uh, two years ago, but I think was released uh, commercially last year in the United States. It was called In Transit, and it's a, a German movie in which characters are trying to, like, do like migration from the U.S. into Mexico, and people are being smuggled from the U.S. into Mexico. And I'm like, literally, this is where the world is right now. I mean, like. My friends in Europe are saying that Americans are like banned from the European Union. We're banned everywhere. Everywhere, and that's like, everywhere. and that's like, that had never happened before. I feel like it's upside down world. It's so strange.
1: Or, or, real life is reflecting fiction because remember that, that movie, that Roland Emmerich movie, 2012.
2: With the library and Jake Gillinghall, yes, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. With like the entire world is ending and and it gets and the world heats up and so everyone is like illegally migrating to Canada.
2: Yeah. Or <laughs> wait, who was the who was the dad? Was it Dennis Quaid? I, I forget. Who was it? He was that really was a very cheap. loud movie. It, it may loud. have been
1: Dennis Quaid actually, yeah. Okay,
2: Grandma. Who was were there women in it? I remember Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh,
1: and uh, Emmy Rossum was in it before she did oh. Phantom of the Opera. Phantom?
2: Yeah. God bless her. Who was the mom? There must have been a mom, right?
1: No, no. there, there I think there was just a dad.
2: Oh, of course it's just a dad.
1: I know, back when Jake Gyllenhaal tried to be a movie actor. Remember, remember that? Pre-COVID I days? I mean,
2: I think I kind of like him more in movies than I do on stage, to
1: be <gasps> honest. No. I think. He's not my favorite, like in, in any
2: medium for starters. Uh, I mean, but I think I like him yeah. a little bit more in movies. But whatever. Why are we talking about him, You, Jim
1: you Jim L-? didn't like didn't like Sunday in the park with George? When he I did his best S- Manny Potankin?
2: I like Sunday in the park with Annalie Ashford. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he was really good in that, but I I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a
1: do, Hall do agnostic. Yeah. yeah i'm I'm also very Jolen Hall agnostic. You know, don't tell the fans like if they're gonna come after us.
2: So are we cutting this from the
1: episode <laughs> I mean, no, no we're not cutting the- <laughs> It seems we have, a, we have the same taste in men Jose that, that I, I think that's what's happening.
2: not Jake Hall.
1: not not Jake Gyllenhaal. Hall. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, even if he was on stage right now, like who would pay who who would pay to be in a theater and try to not get COVID, you know?
2: Someone would pay. There's always someone risking. There's always to risk People's lives, yeah. Betsy DeVos yeah. would pay.
1: Mhm. Which is why, you know, I'm I'm glad so many. There's some pe- people people are opening, but I'm very glad theaters are continuing to close and stay home, because we're all in this together until the very end, which I hope will not be a year from now.
2: That's dark. Can you close it for like a second? Like a happy ending
1: instead. No, we're about to get into a discussion of immigration. This is not, this is not. Like, I, was purposely like like, <laughs> I was like mentally preparing. I was like mentally preparing. I talking
2: about Jake Gyllenhaal and other things just so we don't have to go into the.
1: Exactly, the, exactly. Oh, wow. Though Jake Gyllenhaal in a, in a dad cardigan is my favorite. In, uh, what was it? Uh, Seawall, a life at the yeah. public theater before he went to Broadway when he was wearing the cardigan because he did not wear the cardigan on Broadway. That is my favorite Jake Gyllenhaal.
2: I think my favorite Jake Gyllenhaal is shirtless Jake Gyllenhaal in the very inappropriate Prince of Persia as <laughs> a Middle Eastern man. Remember that?
1: <laughs> Remember back when it was okay.
2: <laughs> it was never okay.
1: It was never okay.
2: <laughs> uh, but I think that's my favorite. Or also, like, Jake, and remember that movie, Love and Other Drugs, where he... Oh, I he was
1: naked d- mo- for most yeah, of the movie? Yeah, entire time, yes. <laughs> See, that because Love and Other Drugs is what I thought Brokeback Mountain was going to be. I thought they were going to be more naked in Brokeback Mountain. And I was kind of dis- dis- disappointed, you know, R.I.P. Heath Ledger, that they were only really shirtless for, like, one scene.
2: They are in, like, the mountains in, like, Utah or something, or Montana. It's
1: a fantasy!
2: It was not a fantasy. <laughs> He's murdered <laughs> at the end. and it's not a fantasy. It's not, like, Danielle's Steele, like, lady porn. Is Danielle Steele, like, lady
1: porn? Yeah, she's always lady porn, yeah.
2: Oh, really? I thought it
1: was gonna be. I thought lady porn is the same as gay porn, you know? Like, we just like seeing Girl. good-looking men
2: doing no very different on?
1: things with no yeah. shirts on yeah
2: at different levels of like lubrication let's say okay we need to talk about this place <laughs> we, we need to dive in to do, i'm holding your hand
1: Are you ready? <laughs> i'm not ready okay that's right i'm not ready okay. okay
2: they were both very depressing Um uh, yeah okay let's start so, with the copper children
1: the copper children Okay, Okay. you go. (laughs) So, The Copper Children is based on a true story, and it is by Karen Zacharias, who is one of the most produced plays in America. But, fun fact, you know, Jose said in his article that is on our website that you can read, that Karen has never had a play done in New York. And... But it just goes to show you, you don't need to be approved by New York in order to get, like, a multimillion-dollar production. Oregon Shakespeare Festival produced The Copper Children. It is not a small theater. It is a very large theater. And it was a really stirring production. Like, you know, it's very, it was very Brechtian to me, actually. It, they call it, like, a uh, a fable, like an American fable and summary... It is about it's set in nineteen oh four when a bunch of Irish orphans get transported across the United States to the to the frontier southwest so that they could be adopted by Catholic parents, except the Catholic parents turn out to be Mexicans during a who are cohabitating in the front during Who are cohabitating in Arizona, which belonged to New Mexico at the time, with white people, and so when the children arrive, it then becomes a. When the children arrive, they turn; they go from Irish to white, and these all these racist white people are like, "You cannot; these Mexicans cannot adopt." the our children, even though you know, they didn't actually want them originally because they're Irish, but because race is a construct, they decided that, you know, these Mexican parents are not good enough for these children. And so it's about that. And
2: Racism
1: in nineteen oh four. Yeah, the like 19- orphans.
2: Like it's so crazy like to even because one of the things the original caravan yeah probably
1: oh my god unaccompanied You know,
2: it's insane though right i mean that happened so long ago and like why aren't people learning their lesson um it was very sad although yeah the the play's very Brechtian. in it was very sad because i do you think you would have been able to like handle it if it had been more naturalistic and if we had seen, for instance, like, actual little children, and if it was more literal, would you, was your soul ready for that?
1: No, not really. No, I, I think it was comforting to know that this was, they're all just telling a story. Like, the actors, you know, like, the actors start off in modern dress, and then they recreate these stories. They recreate this story, and... And there's, like, there's always slightly a remove, but what I really loved about it was whenever we went back in time, like, even if it's just, like, a very short scene, like, Karen is such an economical writer that she's able to make you feel these people's humanity, the, you know, both the Mexicans and the white people, without, with with very little time. Like, she establishes she establishes the scene, the racial scene of Arizona at the time, which is incredibly complex, in, like, less than five minutes. It's like, I don't know how she did it, but I was riveted the entire time.
2: Karen Zacarias for Secretary of Education.
1: Mm-hmm. She gets...
2: I mean, she. I learned so much, uh, and I know that's not necessarily the purpose of the play, but I learned a lot about, about history, and, you know, it was so strangest this trial at the end this custody battle for the uh one of the little irish children um, who's played by a puppet named katie mm-hmm. uh anyway uh it was so strange that this whole battle was called the trial of the century and how many trials of the century have we had a since? lot like, yeah like oj and like everything's always like a trial of the century and i'm like i don't know it, i just felt so bad i felt such failure as a human being not, not as like just myself necessarily but it's like a human society like jesus like don't we learn anything like at all no like at all
1: no no well the, yeah. well i mean an example of how why we haven't learned anything it's because no no one teaches this in schools like the way american history is taught in schools is very much Slavery happened, and then slavery did not happen. We freed the slaves, and then everything was okay, until World (laughs) War II, when the Germans killed the Jews, and then we had to kill the Japanese. But it was all them, you know. It's very much an us versus them mentality, and all the in school for me, like all, most of the racial stuff was like during the Civil War. And so, like, you don't learn if you don't learn your history, then of course you repeat it. And, and what I really loved about the play was the fact that the thing is like, it could so, so like there was a review in the New York times of this play and they were talking about, and the reviewer, Elizabeth Ventitelli was talking about how it was like very overstuffed with themes and she's found it very didactic. And I actually, and I actually did it because it's like, it's not an issue. It could be an issue play, but Karen doesn't spell it out in exactly those words. She is just telling the story. And because the actors are in modern dress for a portion of it, like it allows you to make the connection in your own mind without the play guiding you through it. And that's the brilliant thing about it.
2: So wait, 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 wait. A white lady who probably loved Oslo and the inheritance is saying that this is overstuffed with themes and who probably loves Young, in America is saying that this is overstuffed with themes. Okay! Wow.
1: I know, I know. But that's why we exist. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everyone's it's like, entitled to their opinions. Like
0: yeah.
1: No, right. I
2: know, but it's like if if these people like started started like judging works by non-white people with the same like lens that they do works by white people that they love, they would be like, pot kettle, like yeah. A lot of, wow. Okay. Anyway.
1: But this play is basically kind of like Caucasian chalk circle. But it's like, why? It's like, why did, why did, why am I the only one making that connection? It's it's kind of like, you know, playwrights of color are also influenced by white people. Yeah. As well.
2: Because yeah. they're probably too busy writing mucho escandaloso in a new playo by Karen Zacarías. Uh-huh. Like I don't know. It's, how, it's like a how...
1: telenovela, except it's not. It's not.
2: It's not telenovela. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that I really enjoyed about writing about Karen, getting to speak to Karen, was that you know we have bonded in the past, digitally, digitally, over how angry we get at white critics and white people using the word telenovela, usually as a pejorative, right, and as something that's like, and that's... and mm-hmm. like I don't know, like bad and. It's so strange. It's like most of those people haven't even watched it Watched long, a lot of that. No. Yeah. And I loved to it. so much. love, 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 loved love it so much. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I guess that I hope that they would have. Again, don't we ever learn our lesson?
1: Mm-mm. It's more. It's like lack of imagination, which is like the, which is the basic theme of American history. I think like people unable to look outside of themselves and outside of their own myopic worldview in order to understand what other people might be coming from.
2: But it's like the one thing that you learned not in a history class about American history that when you found out about it.
1: Uh, I think it was definitely the Japanese internment. Like I didn't learn about it in history class, I learned about it in my English class because we read Farewell, Farewell to Manzanar
2: so you didn't learn about any history.
1: <laughs> I mean, Why I would learned about history,
2: you? huh? Everything like you the broad history?
1: strokes. Like World War II was like it was like two weeks worth about you know the Holocaust, and then you got a couple days on Pearl Harbor. But we you but we did not touch on the Japanese internment at all, and so you and so you you're not taught to make the connections between you know. Concentration camps and internment camps until you become so, until you go to college and become like a bleeding heart liberal, but then it's too late, you know. For so they the only ignorance. teach
2: you the they only teach you the places where white people have been the heroes. Yes. So they teach you that they ended slavery, but they don't tell you about all the nuts, all the, the nut cases that then ended no. up having or Jim Crow, like,
1: yeah,
2: or the they cake, don't cake. They, cake. they don't. No. Not a word.
1: No, I, I went to school in California.
2: Girl, and that's a progressive state. I
1: know, right? Imagine how much worse it is, like, in the actual South. Kentucky. I know.
2: Oh, my God, that's terrifying. Oh, my God, yeah. like, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia, they mm-hmm. must be learning.
1: Yeah, that's that's why we're in this situation where we are in now, because we are not taught that racism does not end with one event.
2: It does not? You know?
1: What? Are you ready? Really?
2: That is so insane. Yeah, which is why one of the things that I really loved about the Copper Children was that that, you know, the uh, the puppet that's supposed to represent Katie, who's this like redheaded Irish orphan. She doesn't have a face Like she doesn't have like, a you know, she's made of wood with no hair or anything. So it forces one, I would hope, to empathize and to see their own children up there. Um, Wow, that took, yeah, that took me on like a trip, but that's like insane, though, like I can't believe they, I mean, we talked about it kind of in our previous episode, the, uh, our Hamilton Congress, if you haven't watched it, go to that at some point. Warfare. Work, work. Uh, yeah, work. but we talked about that, about how even like, I know you, know, you know, you know how my sixth grade history book ended, the last part of my history book, and someday, Man will reach the moon. <laughs> and okay, I was <laughs> I was born in nineteen eighty six, so people had already been to the moon.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But that's how my history book ended. Cause like we got the uh, like the secondhand history books from American schools. Yeah, yeah. So I was in an American school. We were getting like super old history
1: mm-hmm.
2: from the U.S. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But that's like, oh, what? Uh, how can people fix that then? So do you think that plays are a good place, you know, to learn history?
1: Um, I, I don't think like a play should teach you history because you know a play comes with its own preconceived notions of what's worth telling, like any history book, and and it's always going to be incomplete. Like you can't stu- like Karen couldn't stuff like all of Arizona colonial, <laughs> you know, history. In, no. <laughs> into her play, that's why you need more research. But I think a good, a good piece of work like, you know, like the, like the Copper Children, like Hamilton, will like inspire you to look more into it, or it should inspire you to look more into it. And so, actually, after I watched the Copper Children, I actually looked up, I actually Googled, like Arizona Orphans, 1904, to see if it was actually true. Because are you like
2: too sad? <laughs>
1: No, because I, I, I'm a nerd. Like I need to. I, I need to know. I need and? to know. And there's really that there, there's a there's a book actually about it by Linda Gordon called the Ariz the Great Arizona Orphan Abduction, and it's a and basically and and like also like one of the Arizona press in like the early two thousands wrote about it. And what Karen put in her play was basically not that far from reality so really it reality can't... is like stranger than fiction sometimes because it's fucking insane
2: it is really nuts it is really crazy but we okay, were
1: talking yeah well, but i'm <laughs> a big advocate for doing your own research like don't believe don't 100 believe entertainment
2: no i mean like, that would please, be like
1: please don't
2: if that pocahontas would be this like 25 year old princess and then like a exactly, child
1: exactly exactly like, yeah
2: uh oh disney you have disappointed us in so many ways do you think I do this like pocahontas, is
1: gonna
2: honest though i love pocahontas i love like,
1: it it's so but problematic
2: when I, but when i found out that she was like 12 and he was like i mean and they and she didn't even marry john smith do you remember who she married in the she end she
1: married john Rolfe. yeah
2: yes who's in the sequel pocahontas Two journey to the new world do you remember voiced that
1: voiced by billy zane <laughs>
2: voiced by christian bale right
1: wait n- no no christian bale was in the terence malik the new world pocahontas movie with uh what yeah
2: <laughs> with kurdianka kilter well wow, yeah. all my pocahontas Disney, this is your fault all my pocahontas like myths are just like mm-hmm are you sure Christian Bale wasn't in the animated Pocahontas? No, all? Billy
1: Zane was was because I remembered. Oh, it's it's Rose's fiance in Titanic.
2: <laughs> You're such a gay <laughs> boy, teenage girl. No, but you weren't even a teenager. I was you a preteen.
1: Like, I was a pre-teen.
2: preteen. Yeah, was that when yeah. you were reading the babysitters club also? Was that toilet? Oh yeah, yeah yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. All during all the '90s were a very vivid time in my imagination clearly
2: i'm older and i'm already starting to forget uh but um okay let's talk about wow this play is like making us like talk about some crazy shit yeah um, i
1: know right
2: <laughs> well let's talk about what we talked about at the beginning how this is like the first karen Zacarías play we have ever seen and how wrong that is because um who are, who are the top people who are never produced in New York? It's karen Zacarías, lauren gunderson um
1: has um has Oct- octavia solis been produced in new york in new york
2: i mean not while i've been around i think yeah i don't think not not while i've been around and like even what's the name of terrell even like he's only had one show produced on broadway right yes but and he has for-
1: been produced in yeah they his trill his famous trilogy was produced in in new york oh off Broadway. Okay. but it was before we all got Mm -hmm. here yeah yeah yeah. but Mm. but yeah I totally and no I I totally think that you don't need to have like a big New York clout in order to be a playwright I think what you do need I think what you do need is just like enough people who believe in your work and I think the thing about New York is like people people come to New York because it's the easiest way then to, like, be transmitted out, to, like, get your name established so that more people will want to produce you. But that doesn't have to be the case, though.
2: It shouldn't. Like, if anything, quarantine has taught us that it shouldn't. I mean, I'm so happy, like, I wish Roundabout or someone would produce, like, a play like The Copper Children instead of Eugene O'Neill and, like, Arthur Miller. Mm -hmm. You know, how many many Arthur Millers and Eugene O'Neills can we get every season, right?
1: Or Tom Stoppard.
2: Yeah. I mean, I kind of have a soft spot for Stoppard, but yes, enough Tom Stoppard also, but also uh, Chekhov and everything. And yes, I was right. Christian Bale was in both Pocahontas.
1: Oh, I had no idea. He was
2: Thomas, Weber Thomas.
1: Oh, shoot. I didn't know that. Wow.
2: Which means I don't have early onset, like, some sort of, like, disease, but I remember my Pocahontas is right Anyway,
0: <laughs> thank you, Karen,
2: for making me revise my history, to make sure that I was speaking the truth. Uh, but, um, no. I, you know, like last year, I think was the first time that, with that play about Marie Curie, what was it what was Uh it called?
1: The Half Life of Marie Curie.
2: Yeah. Uh, and it was like, the first Lauren Gurderson play that I think I ever saw in New York.
1: Re- no, it's the third that's been produced in New York.
2: Okay. But that's like nothing. Yep. And she's like, Is she like the most produced after Shakespeare, right, or
1: something like that? She is. Wow. In America, yeah, but it's it's because like her plays, her plays have gotten circulated, out, out, you know, outside of New York. No, but I, I, but I do want to shout out like the director Sharifa Ali because I've never seen any any of her work before, and I was like really impressed by how she handled this because I think it's you know it is you know when it comes when it comes to stuff that breaks a fourth wall or has a lot of ideas like this one like you want you, you don't want like it's easy to be overwhelmed by it and I think like I loved how simple she kept it with the scaffolding that looks like my mind scaffolding and and just and just making sure that And like the designation of different time periods is just through like costuming and skirts and things like that. And so it was all very simple. So it really allowed you to focus on the words, which is great actually when it comes to, I think, my theory when it comes to filming theater for live performance. I mean, filming theater for online performance is the simpler the text and the design, like the easier it's going to be for everyone to capture.
2: Yes, that's why, because it's kind of like that Hamilton come from away thing, which, by the way, someone needs to record come from away and release it because I need something to make me happy soon (laughs) or something to, like, cheer me up very soon. But um, I agree with that. And, you know, if you read the, if you don't read the interview, which you should, because Karen is very wise, but if you Mm -hmm. don't read it, you'll also uh, find out that this was not intended to be streamed, like this was a uh, video that they recorded for the understudy so they could see it if they were joining the play or if they hadn't done it before. But even with that, uh, you know, it was a really good stream, right? Like, mm-hmm. the quality was very good. But can you imagine, like, if this was actually very good, can you imagine what theater companies could do with preparation and the awareness that something's going to be streamed? Like, we could be mm-hmm. seeing, like, all the Gundersons, all the Zacarias, all the Solises, but All those people that we don't get in New York we should be seeing that and we should be also looking at theater from all over the world and I don't know it's been like very eye-opening and very sad also to know like oh god we could have had this all along Mm -hmm. we've been seeing stuff like this all along and we haven't and that's very sad
1: so if uh... they never
2: find a vaccine please keep giving us all the plays that you're making all over the world.
1: Mhm. And and check and the and Oregon Shakespeare Festival is is putting slowly putting up their archives for like week long, you know, runs online. So the next one up is Midsummer Night's Dream. And and I've I've seen their stuff live and it is breathtaking. So I hope you all check it check it out.
2: And Oregon give us head over heels, please because I want it. Please, 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 please. please, please. <laughs> Please. No more Shakespeare. Give me head over heels.
1: Anyway. Oh and and oh and, and just just a note, this isn't a uh, this was filmed before COVID. So this yeah, they they're not doing this right now and then filming it. This is all archival stuff.
2: Yeah, no one should be filming no right. No one now. should
1: be yeah, no one should be performing in person right now. Please yeah, be safe.
2: Stay away from people. So now that we're gonna go talk to Hillary Bettys, who is a playwright who you might know because she wrote Alligator and she's part of the Soul Project. And she also wrote 72 Miles to Go, which was running at Roundabout before COVID hit. And Hillary is one of those amazing playwrights who also transitioned into television, where she, oh wow, I rhymed, she also uh, was a writer for for the Americans for the, uh, I don't know how many seasons, I've never actually watched that show, have you? No. It's supposed to be really good though. We should binge Yeah,
1: I, I mean, she, she won awards for it, so I assume she's good.
2: Go, Hillary. Anyway, let's yeah. go talk to Hillary about her career and also about her involvement with the Kilroy's, who just recently released their latest very heartbreaking list. Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I don't even know, I have so many questions for you. I'm like, but the the, 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 the first question that I have for you is that, you know, I, I went to. Uh, 72 miles to go uh, you know a, a few weeks before quarantine started and as I ended up tweeting there was that line from your play about touch that I was like it hit me you know it struck me like lightning even not knowing what was coming and ever since I'm like it's Hillary Betty's like a prophet <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: yeah no I know it's 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 I mean, I've been working on this that play for years, but this feels like we are all now living what the undocumented immigrant experience is. Our relationship to you know, I mean having your entire life, your entire connection to your family through phone calls and home and that's all you have. I mean like my two month old son still hasn't met most of his grandparents yet because other than through Zoom, I'm, it's just. But that is like that's the experience that this that family was going through, and so many families go through. And I, if there's a silver lining in all of this, I my hope is that this country will be able to have a deeper understanding and empathy for undocumented people because we're having to all live that now, you know. And for us, it's temporary. Mm-hmm knots
1: like, and ha, like you you talked about that experience like so vividly in your play like how did you research it like what what, what was part like what was a part of the process of like getting into that headspace like you
3: know I mean it was you know it's partial it's personal partially personal it's partially you know it's it's a subject matter that I've written extensively about. is something that I've, you know, I feel like I've been talking about long before it was ever really, even in our news cycles, you know? Uh, and my my mother grew up on the border, and, you know, but the family in the play is really, like, based on my family. Like, my father's a, a minister, my brother's in the military, my you know, my mother's a nurse. And so, like, the char- the specificity of the characters were very personal and like people that I know and people I love and conversations that, that I've had. Um, and then in terms of, like, the, the, the being undocumented, I, I worked with a lot of different actors that are undocumented throughout the process. Um, you know, met with immigration attorneys and spent some time in... Um, at, in actual like attorneys' offices and different you know clients that they had coming through and like what day to day was like for them and what the language was like for them. Um, but I, you know I I just I don't know. I mean I feel like this is like the greatest human rights issue of our generation. And I think because of that, because of that like belief and passion. And and I mean, I feel like attention must be paid to this. And so I, I think in talking about it, that is what is at the forefront of, you know, everything that I write about this.
2: You had, you encountered like a lot of success during television, writing uh, in The Americans, which I'm sorry, I, I, still, no. haven't watched, <laughs> I still haven't watched Haven't it yet. And I'm like, it's, everyone's telling me like, it's such a great show to binge right now. But I'm like, it sounds very intense, so maybe I'll wait a little bit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you had great success writing for television uh, and the Americans. And then 72 miles to go ended for up for a few weeks being streamed also. And, you know, it was its devices to play. And obviously none of us knew that this was coming. So I, I would love if you could talk about, you know, what you have learned from writing for each different medium that you kind of wish more, you know, TV writers incorporated this theater thing more often and that playwrights incorporated this TV thing more often.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I feel like the more that I, I mean, I, st- I've, like, first of all, being a playwright, I like started as a playwright, theater is like my great life, love and passion. And I, TV really sort of has been more like pragmatic and you know, <laughs> you get really tired of like, being poor you know, and not having health insurance. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, it like the more that I've, I've worked in TV, the more I really have a deeper love and appreciation and understanding of what makes a play a play. Um, you know, you, you can have, and see, th- I mean, first of all, theater is a, a live experience. And so the way that our brains, experience time in theater versus TV is very, very different. And you sort of have permission in theater, I think, to just live with characters in real time, in space, Uh, that you don't have in TV. Like audiences get very bored very quickly staring at a screen, you know? And so you like, and also like when you, you have cinematography and you have editing and you have all of these other camera tricks, you can get a point across much more quickly I think in, in in theater you really need to it, it's it's sort of like the characters either need to say it or like the relationship needs to say it for an audience to understand it. And I think that's probably the biggest difference. But I I I wish that honestly, I wish that we could take some bigger theatrical risks, you know, especially especially in like the uptown theaters that are uh, I think still more of like a traditional uh, kitchen sink drama, which I think certainly 72 miles I think fell into that. But, um, but like how do we take that and take, you know, I think like the pacing and the sort of big gestures that you could have in television, like how do we use that in theater and how do you think theater feel more like you know like, like relevance not the right word but like I, I think that immediate? there's yeah immediate, yeah 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 and I right. wish that i just, like understood character development
1: and I think we're definitely right. Well, yeah, and I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that 72 Miles was a kid, is a kitchen sink drama. I mean, it, it's very because we Jose and I also both saw out your play Alligator, which was pretty bad shit.
2: Bonkers, <laughs> I love it. It's bonkers.
0: <laughs> it was very bad shit.
1: But it was so crazy, but it was a, it's, a, it's a completely different play than 72 Miles to Go in terms of you know topically but also stylistically yeah. they, do, they still have like the fragmentation
3: yeah aspect
1: so yeah. like when, when you heard the news that you're getting produced in the, the 200 seat you know big off-Broadway space on 42nd street 46th street like did that affect the how you decided to write the play uh, okay so I was like I love alligator
3: I love like messy weird downtown theater shit like I that was sort of like my jam for a long time and then it's like being completely like pragmatic uh I was like my career has hit this glass ceiling like uptown theaters like they read my stuff and they're like we love you we'll never produce it but this is cool let's have another coffee and (laughs) i of this. I want to write a play that gets the attention of uptown theaters. This still is like something that I'm passionate about and a subject that reaches mm. a bit. You know, I'd also written a play, The Ghost of Lotte Bravo, that was also very like messy and gritty and sort of, you know, I think closer to the world of Alligator than 72 Miles. Um, so I wrote the play with that in mind From from you know the first word on the page, uh, so I kind of, you know, and then roundabout loved it. And, you know, I spent a couple of years like doing readings with them and developing it, and um, um, so I like I, I very like intentionally <laughs> knew what I was doing.
2: <laughs> oh my god, I love that so much. Um, you know, now I wanna I wanna I wanna go into like the more like, heartbreaking. Uh, themes that we're, get, like, oh my god, you should have seen us, like, try to get serious to record earlier, we were like, we don't want to, like, talk about the sad things that we have to talk about uh, right now, but, um, uh, because,
1: because we're also talking about Karen Zacharias's play, The Copper, Ch- Copper yeah. Children, this episode, and that, and we're like, wow, it's a lot about immigration and family separation, and, I mean, granted, it, it's a privilege to be able to, like, not think about it all the time. For sure.
2: Absolutely, yeah. But, but anyway, yeah, we were like, oh, God, like we were like doing running circles around the themes. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you besides Loving, something two miles ago, is because you're representing also the Kilroys. And on different years, the Kilroys, every time the list comes out, it's like a fuck yeah moment, right? About like all these plays that are, you know, haven't been produced yet and that are there for, you know, for people to like read them and start producing them and this year we got like the heartbreaking like the you know like the sadder like twist to that which is the place that could have been and i mean the place haven't gone anywhere they're still in in the world and they can be produced if we go you know whatever production and staging looks like at some point all the place can be that but can you talk a little bit about you know the idea behind this year's list and It's so sad. Like I don't, you know, it, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. It's just so heartbreaking.
3: It's it is really heartbreaking. You know, I mean, I have I have multiple productions that were canceled, and so I'm like, you know, I, I'm I, every playwright on this list. I mean, I know how how like gut wrenching it it is, and it's, you know, you work so hard and so long, and you finally get an opportunity, and you know. Overnight, it's 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 pulled. You know, the rug is pulled out from under your feet, and I'm sure a lot of these writers are wondering, will I, will my play ever get, will I ever get a chance again, will my this play ever get a chance again? You know, none of us know what the the landscape is going to look like when 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 theater comes back, and who knows when that's going to be. But I think for us, we really wanted to respond to the moment and we wanted to really think in sort of big picture terms about what is happening Mm. not just in theatre but across, you know, the world right now Um, and really, like, honour because, like, these the spring production especially is when theatres take, like, their risk plays, you know, women and people of colour overwhelmingly are The plays that are scheduled in those slots. And so it just, it's like an extra, you know, fuck you from COVID and (laughs) whatever. And so I think our thinking was like, well, we really want to honor these plays. We want to honor the pain and heartbreak and grief that so many of these writers are feeling and experiencing. We want to keep these plays alive. We want theaters, when theater comes back, to say, hey, these plays are still here. Please don't like fall back on like musicals and revivals of old dead white guys because you think it's <laughs> like, do these plays, do these plays, keep these plays alive. And we really felt like it was our, you know, first of all, like the Kilroy's, we, we just aggregate information. We don't pick plays and I, I can't stress that enough. we, you know, we have nominators, they send us their top five, we, you know, and then the, the top percentage of the, the most recommended plays are the plays that make the list every year. But we felt like that seems a little bit small in terms of what's happening in the world right now. And so we really wanted to just make this, here's all the plays that have been canceled. And that, that this is really a living list. You know, that more plays are going to be, unfortunately, canceled and postponed so that people can continue adding to this. Um, so that we really document what is happening right
1: now in this era with this person. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion on like people producing things virtually?
3: I you know <laughs> I mean it it's I totally understand, first of all, I understand like, artists need to keep making work we need to keep making work and we need to respond to the time and this is what it is theater cannot happen we cannot be in groups together right now and people's voices need to be expressed and heard and, and out there in the universe and also you know from a pragmatic point of view like theaters need to find a way to continue to survive and you know bring in whatever money they can and to Exists and hopefully that money goes to like paying their staff, artists, and honoring like, technicians and things that theaters have already promised to artists. You know, I'm putting that out in the universe so that if they are listening, that's where that's where some money is still going to. But um, but it's not. It's just not the same. I mean, plays are written to be experienced in real time and real space with a real living audience, and. You know, TV and film is really, really good at what TV and film does. And so I, I don't quite know how theater can compete with that, to be quite honest. Um, but, you know, I, I also know that people are so maybe this is a time where, you know, we have new innovation and different ways of thinking about what theater theater could be right now, you know? Um, so I'm 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 trying to be open-minded about it, and also at the same time, like you know, Netflix. Is, it's, you, we can't keep Netflix being
2: working on this. <laughs> No, you're so right about that. Because I, I remember when I went to uh, I went to a matinee of 72 Miles to Go, and someone was like a uh, uh, a man next to me was burping whiskey or something like that, oh. and then there's. And then there's that scene where the character, you know, where Bobby's character I think brings in some KFC and I was like there's fright, the smell of fried chicken and this man's like boozy burps and all of that, you know, I kind of I kind of miss that and like it yeah. really like
3: twisted way. away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think like we as a species are are wired to experience empathy when we are in rooms with other people. And that is what theater has that TV and film will never have. There, I just, it's just, when there's like a screen in front of us, when it's an object and a screen, there's part of our brain that doesn't see the people on the other side of the screen, you know? But when we are forced to sit next to people, even people that we like, that might be like drunk (laughs) and. burping at the worst moments or falling asleep or hearing aids going off or whatever we still we are we respond differently than we would you know and and I I just think that like that lesson in empathy is so vital and so necessary and and I don't know I I that I think in, in a lot of ways like when theater comes back that is like the one thing that people are going to be craving so much of you know Mm. yeah
2: all like the sweat and (laughs) stuff
3: yeah
1: yeah well and and speaking of audiences like when when you did 72 miles and you know we all know the audience at roundabout it's it's not the audience that we would like uh (laughs) but 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 you were exposing them to a a personal story that they would not have had knowledge of otherwise you know because undocumented immigrants are usually very are still quite villainized or otherized in media and so do you think the play did what you wanted it to do in terms of like making people feel empathy and hopefully inspiring them to do something
3: yeah I think some people, yes, and some people, no. You know, I, I think there, I mean, definitely conversations that I had with some people felt like, oh, I never really thought about immigration from a family perspective. I never thought about it from like the small things in life that we take so for granted that are missed and how massive that grief is. You know, and I, I think definitely, there definitely were people that for sure were inspired. And then, you know, and then of course there's people that are like, oh, it's, uh, you know, political, trying to, you know, mm. make me feel something for people that I don't want to feel for, you know? And I will say that I, I think because there are not enough Latinx stories it ought, it ought to be, but especially on our stages, there just aren't. And I think for a lot of the audience, like very, I will say, very like well-meaning audience members, I think the only thing they've really ever thought about Latinx people and this particular subject is from like the New York Times headlines or like what they see on like CNN, you know. And it's always these gut-wrenching stories about. You know, detention centers and children being taken from their families, and like the harrowing, harrowing journeys across multiple countries, and the violence and the death and cartels. And yes, that is part of it. But also, for so many more people, it is like this, these like quiet everyday lives. Um, and and a first of all, that's what I wanted to highlight. But b, I think that there was a real expectation. Of, maybe not even conscious, but a subconscious expectation that this play was going to be like trauma porn. And I think a mm. lot of people were disappointed when it wasn't mm. happening. Mm. Um, you know, and I and I think this is like a bigger issue with you know what work in general. know, I mean it's, it's like like there's just, like, white audiences, I think, want, want that shock, want like to say, like, oh, well, I'm a good person because I would never be this horrible, and therefore I don't actually, like, have to take a deeper look at subtle, insidious racism in our culture and how we're all, like, part of that. Um, and... and well, no, I mean, I think there's, I think people still want that separation. That's sort of what I've come out with, with this experience. I been in writing this play thinking like, oh, if we see how similar we are, then people will be have more empathy. But I actually think, and I think that, that there were certainly people that that happened for. But I also think there was many people that don't want that. They don't want to feel similar. They want to feel like, oh, these poor people well, I have pity, therefore
1: I'm a good person. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I took my medicine by having this experience, this very yeah. painful experience, and then therefore I don't need to do anything else. Exactly, exactly,
2: yeah. Well, all those people are screwed because right now everyone all over the world is almost, like, living the exact same life, right? <laughs> and I say almost because obviously, you know, like, we... We have Wi-Fi, we have internet and we have like, but anyway, you know, like most of us, I would say are like, it's like, I don't know, like fairly equal, like playing level. And what is like one or what are some of the things that you have found yourself doing during quarantine that you were like Hillary, not in a million years, I would have ever imagined you doing this
0: in your life?
3: Oh, besides having a baby?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I
1: assumed you plan on having the baby.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think... Well, I will say that I have definitely been doing a lot of soul-searching about, like, what kinds of stories I want to tell and what kind of writer I actually want to be. And... Um you know, I don't know if that's, I, 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 I think that it's because of what is happening right now that is making me like step back in ways that I don't know that I would have otherwise. Um, and really ask like uncomfortable questions like, is theater the right place for, you know, my voice or the audiences I want to reach? <laughs> Oh my god, your
1: reactions are amazing. You know, but
2: <laughs> Yeah, don't don't leave us. <laughs> no.
1: I mean, will still talk to you if you do, but still. <laughs>
3: but I I I really want to write really messy bold plays like Alligator, but I want to reach an audience like roundabout. And I don't and I'm like, how do you do that? How do you how do you and also how do you like continue to put like the family and 72 miles at the forefront of the conversation that I want to have and do it in a way that people can hear and people can digest. And it's not people being like, but I don't want to feel for those people. You know, I I think that's something that I'm really, really grappling with right now. (laughs) And part of me is like, maybe I should just be a novelist, (laughs) you know, because it's also like, complicated navigating like these big institutions and how do you like hold on to your your voice and your point of view and your your the the concept of the thing that you wrote when you're there's so many like moving parts and other departments and other perspectives and other stuff coming at you you know and and I think that's I've, heard, like, found that hard to navigate in every production that I've had, period. Whether it's been a, like, roundabout or, like, a tiny theater in, you know, Kansas City or whatever. It's it's a hard, it's hard. It's a hard thing to navigate, which I feel like is part of the conversation that we're also having right now in the future, but. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I think the lie. And I it. mean. Yes. No, and
2: I, the, I, I mean.
3: Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not.
2: I was like, I don't, I don't mean like to put like a cloud on your novelist parade, but even there, like, look at American Dirt. Like even there, it seems that what they want is like poverty and suffering, porn. So don't leave us, Hillary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't go write books.
1: Was- oh, I, I love writing plays too much.
0: Okay, thank you. For-
1: I know. Well, I feel like it's one of those lies that that theaters like to tell themselves that it's all like art based it's not commercial like, you know, Hollywood is. But the same. But no, like you're making all kinds of artistic compromises in a production because you think, oh, this is what the white audience might like. You are. You really are.
3: You really, 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 really are, you know, and you have like you have like very well-meaning, you know, artistic directors and producers and, you know, people that really know their particular audience that are giving you notes behind the scenes that are, whether they're conscious of it or not, are about their particular audience. And you're like, well, I want this play to resonate. I want it to be successful. And especially like a Latinx play that is on, you know, off-Broadway, on that stage, you're like, God, it has to be successful so that they do more Latinx plays so that they take more risks like this. And then, you know, and so suddenly you're carrying the weight of an entire community, you know, and being a woman on top of that on your shoulders. And you're like, you start to, I personally know that I fall into the trap of like second guessing my instincts or being like, well, I'm not being collaborative and I'm not, or I should listen to them because no, I see it this way, but maybe that isn't gonna resonate with this audience. And so I should like cut that part of the play or I should like tone that language down or, you know, I should, you know, make this like a more sort of waspy repressed scene than like a big Mexican family that's like shouting at each other. You know, I, it, it's a lot of like those little tiny, those the, the, this constant like mental calculation that you're doing, and which I feel like, you know, white male playwrights don't, (laughs) they they just don't have to think about those things because everybody behind the scenes and in the audience shares their perspective. And so they can sort of be bigger and take risks in ways that I feel like my instincts say this and my, you know, pragmatic brain says this, and it's a constant Mm -hmm. deep, gut-wrenching, emotional wrestling match you know and um I don't know it's it's it's
2: you know, crazy it's, but the-
3: which are I feel like the glass ceiling of my career and I don't know how to that's the thing that I feel like I don't how do you I wish you wrote for the New York Times <laughs> both of you Jesus it would be a so-
1: yeah, and Jose does. I, do, I don't very much. It's too stressful of, a, of an experience.
2: And I have no comment right now. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, that 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 whole, like, empathizing only with this white male perspective is how we end up with all these place that feel like they have no adobo, like they have no sazon, like there's nothing there. But, yeah. you know, to counteract that, have you fallen in love, or have you been revisiting any specifically Latinx pop culture, or just like food or anything in quarantine that's giving you joy?
3: Oh yeah! Wait, hold on. So I, I am like my like I like my education like this. I am reading, uh, and the, like because i'm really like i don't know enough about chicano history and especially like women's chicano history and so the, like i'm spending a lot of time just like digging deep into like my own family story and and the history of this country because i feel like you know it's i mean i grew up in like rural public schools where basically we were taught that like you know, the Bible was founded on God and, and the con- or the, the, the Constitution was founded on the Bible and the men behind it were all white men and they're perfect and we should all try to be like them. And like that is it. And there was like no conversation around how women played a part in our history. There was never like I think like our Black History Month was like Martin Luther King Jr. was great. The end. Like, let's <laughs> you know, how great white people are again. Uh, like that really is like that was like my education. and so I feel like I'm I'm like well, I can expect our country and our culture and our society to understand our history until I really like start to look at it and understand it for myself and understand like why my family made the decisions they did. like what were they dealing with as they were like, you know, coming of age in this country and trying to carve out their own place, you know, because it's it's one thing to, like, look back and say, well, why didn't my grandfather teach us Spanish? It's another thing to look back and say, wait, like, that was during, like, the repatriation of, you know, Mexican-Americans and that his mother and his family was living in fear. And, you know, the, like, Juan Crow laws in Texas that, like, nobody talks about. And, You know, and and until you can understand it in that context, like how can we really understand ourselves? And so I think that's like what I'm really trying, as well as like having a baby now and, and like wanting to teach my son, you know, who we are and where we come from. And also like, there's more to the world than what you're going to be taught in school.
2: No pressure on you, Hillary, but like just hearing you describe all these things, I'm kind of like seeing like a 72 miles TV series, like prequel, like set, I don't know, like, in the 1900s, and then you can write a book about the Repatriation Act, and then you can end up with your own Hillary Betty's, like, universe with movies and TV and plays. Yes. And that way you can do it all and not and not leave theater.
3: <laughs> From your mouth to God's ear, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I I have some, like, TV development stuff that is sort of all in the same... You know, trying to have the same conversations around, like, immigration and the Chicano experience and, you know, trying to find different ways to subvert it into our pop culture, and we'll see. (laughs) I love it.
2: So this is the part of the interview where you plug everything that you're working on, everything that you want us to make, you know, happen so you won't leave theater and write books.
3: Okay, well, if you could, like, get some, like, different critics <laughs> reviewing plays, that would be amazing uh, for the field, for all of us. Um, I I mean, I think really what I want to plug is the Kilroys and the Kilroys list, and I want, like, everybody to just look at those plays, look at all the plays on it, read all of those plays, and especially the plays by unknown writers by you know plays that were canceled and small communities by local right you know like really reaching out and supporting them and not just like the usual suspects that are you know the well-known more well-known writers among us that have plays canceled but like the small those plays and like keeping them alive keeping them alive reading them programming them like like making a commitment to bring these plays back when theater comes back that is like if there's one thing I want to leave people with at the end of this conversation is that. Because also, so many of the plays on this list are women of color. And these are like vital, necessary, beautiful voices that deserve to have a platform and deserve to have those productions. Um, you know, and then read other plays by these writers. And then go back through all the Kilroy's list and read all of the plays by, by, by women that you have not read yet. I think our our play, our our list last year was all, uh, or like the year before was all uh, women of color. And so, like, go back, look at that list, read those writers, read every single Mm one. That's it. That's what I want to plug.
2: (laughs) Thank you. I mean, we're all in this together. And uh, give my love to Bobby and to the baby. And enjoy your downtime also. (laughs)
3: Thank you. Thank
1: you.
2: Bye. It's lovely to see (laughs) you. Gracias, Hilary, that was such a delight.
1: Yeah, and now is our favorite part, and I'm sure your favorite part of the show.
2: <laughs> to the NPR part of the show?
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: I mean, that's not my favorite, but okay, fine. I'll, I'll be happy to do it this week. So thank you so much for all your support, all your comments, like they really warm our very cold, jaded hearts. I mean, we're not cold and jaded, but you know what I mean. They make us very happy in quarantine. But if you liked our show, not but and if you liked our show, remember to give us some ratings on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, review and us. also yes, review us, and also let us know what it's like to be on the other side, and also tell us, you know, if, if tell your friends and family and everyone you know about our show if you like us. Like I am very, I'm still very, very happy with all the Raul's Parcel fans who have come join our family and who are supporting our show now. So yeah, we have a patron. You can, for as little as a dollar, you can get a lot of bonus goodies and doing like Q and A's and posts that we send out every week and more of our love. And I don't know, now I sound like, a like I'm trying to do like an infomercial kind of thing, but no, thank you for your support. We love it. And we are very grateful that you're here with us doing this Mm -hmm. crazy thing.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I just put up a an interview we did with you know the great Paula Vogel and she was and she gave us some advice which is to like follow our joy and so this show is bringing me a lot of joy every week and I hope it is bringing all of you who are listening and watching some joy too during this tough time.
2: yeah, if we don't bring you joy, please marry condo us we don't yeah, I know. we don't want yeah we don't want to be like bad juju in your lives. Mm-hmm. So. But if you want to tell us how to improve and be a part of your joy, let us know also. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye.